There we go. Okay, we are in lesson number uh, 12 uh, of the book of Romans, which is, covers Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Uh, really, really enjoying the study from the book of Romans. Uh, and that's not a, a surprise. I knew, I knew that when we got into Romans, we would enjoy it. It would be a blessing to us. Uh, such a magnificent book. Uh, this uh, Romans chapter 8 is, is, I guess, one of the key passages many people would, would say this is the one they turn to, uh, and that's understandable. We're only going to cover the first 11 verses. Uh, we're going to probably get, I would say, three or four lessons out of the chapter uh, here in, in uh, Romans chapter number 8. Uh, Moving forward, next week we'll talk about uh, the sonship that we enjoy through the Spirit of God. Uh, and then we'll talk about uh, from suffering to glory. And then also uh, God's everlasting love closes out the chapter. So that's where we're headed in the near future. But this morning we talk about no condemnation. Uh, one of the most well-read or, or popular verses in Scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, that's uh, obviously uh, uh, an encouraging verse. It's a verse that's used a lot in, in preaching and in teaching and uh, evangelizing and uh, deals with both salvation and the security of the believer. So we're going to touch on uh, hopefully a little bit of all of that this morning. Uh, we're going to look back on Romans chapter 7 some as we, as we get into the passage. But let's begin this morning by reading the first 11 verses, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. So look, if you will, in your scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And the righteous, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So, uh, Paul wrote, uh, therefore, to find, so let's, we're going to pause and see what it's there for, of course. And I know I, I use that a lot. I probably overuse it a little bit, but uh, I'll continue to do so because it's such an important key to Bible study 
Anytime you see uh, the word therefore or wherefore, uh, you should pause and see what it's there for. And, and we often find that by looking back. Now we could do so by simply considering uh, verse seven, or chapter 7, verse 25. Uh, but we're going to look a bit, little bit further than that. I, I reread chapter 7 several times this week uh, looking at this. And it's just such a, a clear transition from chapter 7 to chapter 8. In chapter 7, Paul talks about this constant struggle within him, this constant struggle within every believer uh, between the, the law of, of, of the flesh and the law of the Spirit of Christ, uh, this battle that wages within him uh, between the flesh and the Spirit, uh, and everything that, that goes on there. Uh, he, he speaks of the struggle between the carnal nature and the new nature, the new spirit that lives within him. He concluded both uh, by asking and answering a vital question. Paul asked in uh, verse uh, 20... Where did I... I just lost it. I want to say 24. (laughs) Who will deliver me? I've lost it. 24, okay. There it is. Okay, I'm overlooking. Thank you. I, I apologize. I'm overlooking it for some reason. In, in chapter 7, verse 24, he asks this question. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So he asked the question, then he's going to answer the question. And Paul concluded, uh, he came to the conclusion of this struggle that he talks about in chapter 7 by asking this question. And he says, who's going to deliver me? And had he left it there, how hopeless would we feel? And yet he didn't. He answered the question immediately. And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, his deliverer. Now, what does this teach us? First of all, did he say that the struggle went away? No, he he never talks about the struggle uh, leaving us or going away. If you recall, I think it was last week I'll share with you the three tenses of salvation. And in that second tense of salvation, uh, the present tense of salvation, we're being saved from the power of sin. So it's an ongoing thing. And we talk, we use that uh, term sanctification to describe that. And it's, it's the battle that goes on within us day after day, year after year as believers, this struggle with sin. Uh, first of all, why do we have the struggle with sin? You ever thought about that? I mean, the sin is present. We get that. But why the struggle? And the struggle is because if you're a believer, you have the Spirit of Christ within you. You have the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There, are, Just as Paul said in chapter 7, the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I end up doing. And the things that I, that I want to do, I, I don't do. There's the struggle. And it's this heart of Christ, this spirit, this new spirit of Christ within him that, that seeks that the mind of Christ. He said, with the mind, I want to do the right thing. But with the flesh, I don't. I want to do the wrong thing. And so this struggle is present with us and will be with us uh, throughout uh, this, this present age. But he, he, he comes to the end of this battle and says, What am I going to do, wretched man that I am? Who's going to deliver me? Who can save me? And he gives the answer. I thank God 
through Jesus Christ. So his rhetorical question leads us to the right key phrase of, of chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. And that, that word now is so important. Because Paul is not saying, now that I've overcome the flesh, because obviously he didn't overcome the flesh, did he? The struggle didn't go away. But he said, now there's no condemnation. Why? Because of the question he just answered. Who's going to deliver me? The Lord Jesus Christ. So folks, the, the condemnation is removed even though the struggle remains. See? The condemnation is removed even though the struggle with sin remains. And, and that seems so contrary to our way of thinking, or at least to mine, because I so, I, I so depend upon my own abilities in every other facet of life. If I want success in work, I need to do what? I need to study. I need to learn. I need to progress. I need to promote if I want a, a better home, I need to do what I need to work. I need to save. I need to achieve. I need to take care. I need to sell, sell high, buy low. <laughs> I need to do all these things right. See? It depends upon what I do, what I put into it. And Paul says such is not the case here. The struggle remains, but the condemnation is removed. Why? Because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Folks, there is nothing that anyone can do. There, there is no amount of work. There's no amount of achieve, achievement. There, there's no level of righteousness that you can work yourself into. And by the way, this relates to the love of Christ too. Do you, do you understand that, that being better, a better Christian doesn't make God love you more? He loves you perfectly now. When the blood of Christ is applied to you, there is no condemnation. I, I'm, not, I'm not preaching against living right. You should live right. You should, you should strive to live right. He's going to talk about that too. But it has nothing to do with your condemnation. It has nothing to do with your status in heaven. It has nothing to do with the love of Christ and how he sees you. And, and that's what we talk about later in the chapter, that we're already sons and daughters of God. We're already in. The condemnation is removed. There is therefore now no condemnation. Why? Because of Christ. See? So, again, note that the struggle is present, but the condemnation has been removed. So, who has it been removed from? Well, let's read uh, verse 1 again in its entirety. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Now, something that I want to point out, something that I uh, sometimes hesitate to point out, is you need to know that in many of the original texts, and a lot of scholars believe that Paul did not write those last words. Look at verse 1 again, and you see the second part of verse 1, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. From looking at old manuscripts, and from looking at how New Testament writers interpreted the book of Romans, 
Many scholars do believe that Paul didn't write the, those final words. In other words, they believe that Paul wrote, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Period. No more. And even in my book, in my Bible, in my version, there's a note at the bottom that says uh, the original text uh, didn't, it, it omits the rest of this verse. Now, why does this happen? Well, oftentimes a scribe thinks they're going to help the writer out a little bit, and they add something, and to be fair to whoever, however that worked, if you look further down the chapter, he does talk about, uh, he does, Paul does mention those who are walking in the flesh, those who are walking in the spirit. But here, as Paul follows up on uh, uh, chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, he simply writes, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And that's who the condemnation has been removed from. Those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, how many of you have sometimes struggled, and you can raise your hand if you want to, with how this is phrased in the English, those who walk according to, or those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh or according to the Spirit? I have, because my walk is not always great. I know yours is, okay? So I'm preaching to myself now. I understand who I'm in front of. But th this, this struggle here, or, or this phrasing here, uh, and it's been used often for those who are teaching a work salvation. All right, some of our friends in the Church of God and, and other denominations who want to add to the gospel, uh, many of them, I believe, are great and fine believers. I disagree with them on uh, some doctrinal issues, but good to good friends who, are, who have great uh, Christian lives. But here, this can be confusing uh, and again, we don't believe it's in the original text. So, condemnation has been removed from those who are in Christ. See, those who are in Christ. So, and note the use of the word, those who are in Christ. He speaks of that uh, almost as a, a dwelling place again. Those who have been received. Those who Christ has received and accepted as his own. So, the condemnation is then removed. Hey Chris. Yes, sir. It, you know, if you read if you read that the, those last ten words as if it's something to be met, like we have to strive to achieve. Yes. I can see where that would bring confusion, but you know, the the New Testament is full of places that say our flesh is dead. We're crucified. Galatians two twenty. I am crucified with Christ. Yes. Nevertheless, I yes. I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It, I, I think whether it was Paul wrote it or a scribe wrote it, right. I think it's inspired by God, and I think it's not a condition we have to strive to meet. I think it's just saying this is a matter of fact. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're not walking. Uh, you know, you're only, uh, like Galatians just said there, you're living by faith of Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's just a... Fact I, in the past tense. I, I agree with you 100%, Billy. I really do. And I don't mean to come across to say that it's preaching a work salvation or the, whoever the scribe was is trying to convey that. I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, I believe some take it out of its context to make that fit mm -hmm. a work yeah. salvation sometimes. So, regardless of Paul or the scribe or whomever, uh, just understand, uh, and, and I think 
thank you for that example because what Galatians sheds light on there is that, that walk. It, it's, it's that being in a place of that walk. It's, it's a walking alongside. Does that make sense? I mean, there is a sense in which we, we do need to do our part and try to live holy, but there's also a sense in which there's, there's a work that Christ has already done. And w when I read this in context in Romans, it just seems to me they're talking about it's talking about what Christ has already done. You know? Exactly. Yeah, agreed, 100%. All right. So the law of the Spirit of Christ overcomes the law of the flesh. And that's where he spends the rest of the text going from verses 2 to 11. Uh, for the law of the Spirit of life uh, is, uh, in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. I I was thinking on the drive here this morning, and I didn't put a lot of time into this, but the thought occurred to me, we, you know, he uses the word law again and again and again here in verses 7 and 8. And in the English, at least, and, and again, forgive me because I didn't put any time into this uh, as far as researching the, the Greek or anything, but in the English, the word law can mean several different things, can it? Uh, if we... If, a law can really just, you know, in the right context, mean a principle. Things that happen, you know, enough that we expect uh, A to equal B. It can also mean a written uh, law passed down by government, can it? Some things that we are to live by, structured by. Uh, it can be a scientific law. In other words, if I, if I drop something, the law of gravity takes over, right? Because the, they have studied and said the, the physical nature will behave in such a manner that uh, gravitational pull uh, brings things down to the earth, and so there is a law of gravity. And, and so we see this word law here used again and again, and for me at least, it's helpful to think of it in all those different contexts especially when it starts talking about the law of the spirit of life in Christ uh, made me free from the law of sin and death. Well, those are, those are I, I guess, spiritual laws in that they are true because God has ordained them to be true, all right? For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So the law that could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. So here we're talking about uh, the moral law or if you want to say it, the biblical law, the Pentateuch, uh, the Levitical law, however you want to phrase that. But it's also just the truth of the law, the God's righteousness and our sin. The, 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 the contrast there, the difference there. So we learned in chapter 7 that the law was not wrong but it but it sheds light upon our sin see it, it illuminates it teaches us what it means to covet what it means to lust what it means to do all these things and here he says for what it what that what that could not do for us because it was weak in our flesh what does that say to you does that leap off the page to anybody what does it mean when it says what the law couldn't do because it's weak in our flesh I want to see if you if you came up with the same thing that I did. Dwell on that for just a moment. What does that What does that say to you? To me, it, it's saying that it's not able to accomplish in yeah. our life what only the gospel. Can accomplish. A, a, me too, absolutely. And so, 
if it could, if the law was, was strong enough to accomplish righteousness in my life, how would it do so? Well, as it said in chapter 7, it illuminates what? What sin is. And so it would shine a light on sin, and I would see that sin and avoid it. I would be able to go, I, I can get around it, in other words. I can live righteously because the law shows me what sin is, which is what the law does, see? But the law, the law was weak, not in its writing, but in what? It's in, in the flesh, right? Because it's weak in, that means me. That's my flesh. So again, it's just restating the same thing again. Because the law couldn't do, accomplish that because my flesh is weak. I could not obey it perfectly. I could not be righteous. You understand you have to be a good person to get into heaven, right? You do. How good of a person do you have to be to get into heaven? You've got to be Jesus good. <laughs> exactly. And if you don't think about it, Paul does. <laughs> See, he writes it down for you. So you've got to be as good as Jesus. You've got to be righteous. See? And the law exposes that I couldn't do it. But what the law was too weak to do, again, verse 3, for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus became flesh. God condemned sin through that manner. You ever think about why did, why did God make salvation? Why did he set it up the way that he did? I mean, he's God. He could do anything he wanted, right? And yet he chose this method. You know, you ever, you ever wonder that? I have. I, I don't know the answer. I really don't. All I know is he's right. He's perfect. He, he, he did it right. And apparently, though I, I don't have a good enough understanding, apparently his righteousness required this method. I don't know any other reason why he would do it. Why would he put Jesus through that? Why would Jesus put himself through that? Why would the Holy Spirit allow that? Why would the angels be restrained from stopping that? And yet God orchestrated it. There was no other way apparently. So the righteousness of Christ. God condemned sin through the flesh. The Lord Jesus Christ. Incarnation. Incarnation, his death, burial, and resurrection. So there is now no condemnation. Doesn't depend upon my works. Doesn't depend on how good I am. Thank goodness. But because I am in Christ Jesus, because God chose that method, and God said, this is what it takes, and Jesus did it. Jesus accomplished it. And I, take, I get to take part in that. By simply believing, Romans chapter 10. That's where we're headed, see. It's, it's based upon what God said had to happen. Jesus fulfilled it. And now, because of that, there is no condemnation. 
look again in verse 4 and 5, that the righteous, righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And again, we see this, this, this picture of walking again. But you know what? I do walk worthy because I walk how? According to the Spirit. I'm not depending upon my works. I'm not depending upon my own flesh. I'm depending solely upon what Jesus did on the cross and nothing else. Those who are carnally minded, what are they? they're just walking for today. They're just living for today. That's it. They're not thinking about uh, no condemnation. They're not thinking about life in Christ. They're not thinking about depending upon what he did on the cross. Look at verse 7 now. And, and see how seriously... Don't overlook verse 7. I know, I know verse 1 is more fun for the believer because it talks about our deliverance. But understand this, how serious God takes this. Verse 7, because the carnal mind... It's enmity against God. What does that mean? The carnal mind is enmity against God. So what is the carnal mind? That text says it's of the flesh and hostile toward God. That's right. It's of, of the flesh, okay? That we're going to get to that second part. You're right. We're going to get to that. But the carnal mind is of the flesh. In other words, it's not a spiritual mind. It's, it, it's just man before he's in the Spirit of God. It's, it's our, the carnal, the word carnal means our flesh. Often it refers to sin, but it literally just means our flesh. So the carnal mind, just our normal human mind, it's enmity against God. What does that mean? What does that word enmity mean? Hostile, right? It, literally it's saying... We're at war with God. You understand? Before you're saved, you're at war with God? That's true, folks. That's not metaphor. What happens to the person who dies outside of God, outside of grace? By who? God. See, too often because Satan is evil and wicked and he leads us astray and he tempts us, we feel like we're at war with Satan. And I guess the believer is. But Satan hates everybody, unbeliever and unbeliever. But you know who the real war is against? God. That's who's going to be that's who's going to judge. Jonathan Edwards preached a a message back in the, I don't know, 1700s or something, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And where he, he, he went to the, the, the woods every day and prayed and, and fasted and he wanted to convey uh, the, the truth of this, this reality that those who are in sin are at war with God. And after praying for, and, and fasting for a week, he, he came and he preached, basically read his sermon. And people gripped the backs of the pews and cried out and screamed. The Holy Spirit got involved. In fact, he had to stop them two or three times. He didn't give an altar call. He wanted to read his message. And he didn't even believe in eternal security. But that, this is the truth of it right here. 
the carnal mind's at war with the things of God. That, that's how real this is to God. That's, that's how serious it is to God, which again conveys why he allowed his son, Jesus Christ, to come and suffer the things that he did. Never lose sight of that. Verse 8, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There's no other way. Cannot be done within the flesh. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Again, over and over again, this, this, this language becomes a struggle for so many. Because you're not in the flesh, and so it, you're in the spirit. So it seems like, again, if you're in the spirit, it, it seems like you would do the right things, right? That sounds like a person who would do the right things. I'm walking in the spirit. So if I'm walking in the spirit, will I do the right things? It, yeah, that's the right answer. Because again, who's writing that? Paul. Who wrote chapter 7? Not a trick question. Paul. <laughs> the same guy that says the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I would do, the things that I should do, that's what I don't do. The same guy that wrote that wrote chapter 8. So, so this being in the Spirit is about a place of security, a, a dwelling place. It, it, it's about the righteousness of Christ being applied. Now, now that's, that's not a, a message against living right. It, it's not, but it, it's, it's just don't let the English confuse you here and to make you think it's, it's, some, it's about your works because it's not. Your carnal mind is at enmity against God, but yet... There's no condemnation of those who are in the Spirit. Let's finish up verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The law of the Spirit of life is life. It is life because of righteousness. Because the righteousness of Christ has been applied to believer, excuse me, to the believer, it is the spirit of life. That's why there is no condemnation. Not based on works, not based on any performance that you could or, or potentially might do, but based solely upon what Jesus Christ did. We have righteousness and life through him. No condemnation. What does that mean? It means you cannot be condemned when you stand before God someday and He looks at you. you know, they used to teach us. <laughs> I don't know where this came from. But, you know, when I was a kid, I went to an independent, fundamental, KJV, Bible-believing Baptist church. Anybody go to one of those? Yes. My experience table back here? Yeah. And, they, and we were, you, you didn't go to movies. That was, no, that was, you were not allowed to go to movies. That was a bad, bad thing. Didn't matter what the movie was. You didn't go to the theater. And yet they taught us. Yeah, that, yeah that, was the, that was the reasoning. But yet what they used to tell us all the time, because of the judgment, when we got deferred, the first thing we was going to do is watch a big movie of everybody's life and display all the sin that they did. That never made sense to me. <laughs> I thought, that's awful. But at least I'll finally get to go to a movie. 
folks, there is no condemnation. When I get up there, thank goodness the judge is going to look at me and he's not going to see that movie of all my sin. He's going to see the blood of Christ applied and say there's no condemnation. I love you. I'll see you next week.